Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No Trump. American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaigns. Oh wait, unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Pardons, prosecutions, and transparency. You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thanks for joining us this week, a very important week. Next week, obviously, is the election, but things never slow down here in Judicial Watch. Elections matter, but Judicial Watch, from our Judicial Watch perspective, we just keep on doing our anti-corruption work, uh, no matter election results. Um, uh, however they go. Uh, so a lot to talk about. We have new information on seeming skullduggery at the FBI, uh, not only on the Joe Biden scandal, but again, Obamagate struck page emails, missing information there potentially. We've got uh, new information about Biden and Burisma that is uh, really going to knock your socks off. Uh, we've got the new Supreme Court justice. I want to talk about that, plus new records about um, or new records that are being withheld from Judicial Watch that we're having to sue for in terms of the targeting of General Flynn. Uh, first up is, you know, let me give you a, a brief news update with the Biden Barisma scandal. I hope you've been able to uh, enjoy and watch uh, our uh, exclusive Zoom interview with uh, the former mayor of New York and former U.S. attorney and was attorney for uh, President Trump, Rudy Giuliani, who almost single-handedly has exposed the Biden corruption we're all talking about today. Now, going, he goes back, you know, a year or two on this, uh, exploring the Biden corruption vis-a-vis Ukraine. Little did we know that the Ukraine corruption angle for the Biden machine was almost in many respects a side hustle with big money uh, or even bigger money coming out of China, it seems. So uh, Rudy Giuliani explained, uh, A, what the scandal is and what ought to be done. And obviously it fits in with my analysis. So it was, uh, it was a great discussion. Uh, but, uh, you know, the mayor, who is a, a national expert on RICO, the Racketeering Influence Corrupt Organizations Law, uh, he used it successfully against the mafia and even, you know, corporations back when he was U.S. attorney. And he points out that it's uh, the Biden family and the way it was operating in terms of, uh, you know, influence peddling, money laundering, bribery, you what have you. Uh, there's more than enough evidence and information out there for indictments. And I would presume indictments of Joe Biden. It's that serious. We have a witness, Tony Babalinski, has come forward, who has testified about Joe Biden's personal involvement in this uh, and also uh, has documents and such. Of course, we have the Hunter laptop um, information, uh, which also confirms misconduct and criminality. And then you have a third source of information coming out from one of Hunter Biden's partners who was in jail now uh, for separate fraud issues. Uh, and his emails further confirm uh, the criminality here. 
And it looks like the Biden operation was, was operating as a racketeering organization. It was a racket. And the racket was to translate Vice President Biden's name and previously Senator, it looks like, but certainly when he was Vice President, translate his name into a, um, an option or an opportunity to raise money uh, through bribery and, and uh, influence peddling. You know, and I warn you, I'm not a lawyer, but to generally do uh, or pursue a RICO charge, you have to have what's called uh, two predicate acts. And certainly there are the requisite, uh, there's the evidence of the requisite criminal acts. And according to Giuliani, uh, there's, a much, there's enough information now uh, out there that he could get an indictment. He could get an indictment. Now, I know there are reports, um, uh, James Rosen of Sinclair Broadcasting, uh, says that the Justice Department attorney or some uh, Justice Department sources said that there's been an ongoing money laundering operation since last year. And it's continue and, and as I said, it's ongoing. It's continuing into uh, Hunter Biden and Associates. Well, does that mean Joe Biden is under investigation? Or more likely, does it mean that the FBI and the Justice Department are pretending an investigation's going on? When in fact, there is no real investigation going on. It's kind of like the Durham investigation or the Clinton email investigation, where they're going through the motions of saying we're investigating something, uh, but there's nothing serious being done. So when they say it's ongoing, it means they got the laptop back in December pursuant to a grand jury subpoena. They've done zilch with it. And only after it became public because of uh, Rudolph Giuliani's patriotic activism did the FBI get embarrassed into doing something? And for instance, questioning Mr. Bobolinsky the other day, who by the way, is in fear for his life. He has his family being protected and he's so, 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 uh, so frightened for his life. He's, he's not gonna go home for as long as it takes to get justice. So don't you believe it that the FBI is doing an, an investigation? I don't trust the FBI, I told you that. If I were the president, I'd appoint a separate special prosecutor to investigate and prosecute the Biden issue. You can't rely on the FBI, use IRS investigators, use DHS investigators, maybe use the Marshal Service, use the Postal Inspector Service, Inspection Service, Inspector Service, I believe it's called. There's a criminal division, criminal investigation investigators over at the Pentagon as well. I don't trust the FBI. Frankly, the FBI also needs to be investigated for the cover-up of this scandal. Don't you agree? So whatever happens on election day, the Biden scandal ain't going away. And this is something you should be aware of. Uh, I, you know, we all may want personally a certain outcome in the election, but it's never the end of the world when, you're, when your candidate doesn't win. And I know many of you probably want President Trump to win. I'm sure some of you want President Biden to win or uh, Vice President Biden to win. But, uh, and I tell you, I, tell, I'm, I say this in a neutral way, Things never change. Things are never as bad for your beliefs as you think they will be when the candidate of your choice loses. So, President, there may be a President Biden, 
Does it mean all criminal investigations into the Biden corruption scandals will be shut down? Not necessarily, not necessarily. This is where the bureaucratic inertia of uh, the Justice Department and the FBI or whatever other agency may be investigating at the time, you know, works to the benefit of the rule of law. It's hard for a president, as we see with President Trump, to shut anything down. Now, I know the likelihood of anything happening substantial markedly decreases, but it's not a zero chance, even if President, uh, Vice President Biden wins. And you can be sure that Judicial Watch will be pursuing justice no matter who wins. Excuse me. You can be sure that Judicial Watch will be pursuing justice no matter who won wins. I mean, Judicial Watch is, we're not going away. The law under Freedom of Information Act and other litigation uh, opportunities that's still available to us no matter who wins. And frankly, given the transparency of the Trump administration, it may not be much difference in terms of FOIA. There may be more to investigate in terms of government misconduct. I don't know. But our FOIAs will continue. We'll still fight the Justice Department, I'm sure, about Hillary Clinton's emails. I mean, things haven't changed there, for instance, with the Trump administration. The Trump administration just recently asked two courts to shut down our email inquiries into Hillary Clinton. So forgive me for being skeptical that things will change much even with a Biden Justice Department. As far as I could tell, there wasn't much distinction. Now, I exaggerate for effect, but uh, there wasn't much distinction uh, besides uh, the, the uh, rhetorical leadership of, uh, of, of someone like Barr. And obviously there were policy differences, but in, in our neck of the woods, in terms of transparency and accountability, not much difference, not much difference at all. So Joe Biden ain't out of the woods if he wins the presidency. And uh, so the question is, what's gonna happen on election day? So Judicial Watch is concerned about the, obviously the possibility of voter fraud. Uh, if you have not voted, uh, you should uh, think about voting in person. Uh, uh, I wouldn't rely on the mails at this time. It's, you know, by the time you listen to this or see this, uh, you, you're really risking having your vote not counted if you drop it into the mail. Um, if you wanna vote absentee ballot still uh, and not vote in person, uh, check with your state to see if you can drop it off in person where you kind of you provide an absentee ballot to a, a, a drop box or uh, bring it into an office somewhere. Other, other, other opportunities obviously are just to vote in person. So. Uh, I've been warning everybody that the best way to ensure your vote is counted is to vote in person. Practically speaking now, the only way to ensure your vote count is counted is to vote in person. Uh, and uh, as I've been telling you, the left is uh, through uh, big tech censoring these concerns that I've been raising and others have been raising about the possibility of voter fraud. Uh, but it, it's going to be a challenge because the courts have refused to intervene adequately in certain key states to stop the rules from being changed in a way that will undermine confidence in the elections, where uh, in North Carolina and Pennsylvania, they have extended the period of time uh, that uh, ballots will be uh, allowed to come in and be counted. So in theory, uh, the best way to count ballots is everyone votes in my view on election day and they count who voted on election day. Now I know the rules are different. 
you got absentee ballots. Okay, well, we count the absentee ballots that get there by election day. But the idea, like you have in many states, that you count ballots that arrive after election day is completely at odds with election integrity and invites fraud. And that's why most states, most states don't count ballots that arrive after election day. So what does the left want to do? They want to change the rules. And they've done it through a variety of ways, mostly through judicial activism. And in the case of North Carolina and Pennsylvania, the Supreme Court essentially has not stepped in. And I was all excited this week, and I guess I'll segue into the good news about Amy Comey Barrett being appointed uh, or being confirmed and sworn in as uh, the newest member of the Supreme Court of the United States of America. It's a wonderful um, development for the rule of law and the Constitution. Uh, we were all excited. I was honored to be invited on behalf of everyone watching, on behalf of Judicial Watch, to the White House to watch uh, Justice Coney, uh, Coney Barrett being sworn in. Uh, she took the oath um, uh, at the White House. Obviously, President Trump was there. Uh, and Clarence Thomas, Justice Thomas, administered the oath to Justice Barrett. And Justice Barrett gave a great presentation. I encourage you to go back and look at it, where she soundly rejected the idea of justices imposing their beliefs uh, through their judicial decision making. She said that's the last thing they should be doing. It's at odds with their oath. And uh, they need to just apply the law and not pursue their personal objectives through their uh, judicial office. That's what politicians are supposed to do, not judges. And we don't want the judges to be politicians and we soundly rejected it. And as I said at the time, Justice uh, Barrett's confirmation is a great victory for the US constitutions. Uh, Americans agree that Justice Barrett, uh, agree with her that the Supreme Court should apply the law as it is written and leave the legislating to the people's elected representatives. And we are grateful that the justice, the Senate, excuse me, rejected the left's attempts to destroy her. They attacked her religion, they attacked her family, get the usual. And now we have a much more solid conservative majority on the Supreme Court. The left says it's 6-3, it may be 6-3 on some issues, but it will probably be 5-4 in a lot of others, depending on how Justice, uh, Chief Justice Robert operates. And this is, what, this is how Barrett explained her approach to the Constitution. You hear originalist, textualist, all these words uh, to describe conservative judicial decision-making and their approach to applying the Constitution. But she really explained it quite well. I interpret the Constitution as a law, that I interpret its text as text, and I understand it to have the meaning, meaning that it had at the time the people ratified it. So that meaning doesn't change over time, and it's not up to me to update it or infuse my own policy views into it. So how can you not help but be excited to have someone like that being added to the bench? And she has a demonstrated record of being conservative on these issues. So it's not like she's just saying this to get approval by conservatives. But as I pointed out in a statement, her first order of business is to deal with the leftist attempts to use the courts to undermine election security. So they had these two emergency cases come up this week, both in Pennsylvania and North Carolina. And essentially the court refused to uh, do anything about 
as I said, these issues, uh, these cases, which essentially changed the rules and the counting of ballots after the election. And Justice Barrett declined to participate in the decision-making. Now, I don't know whether there was an issue that her vote would have mattered. It's not clear because they were just figuring out whether to take up the case and whether to act. But in my view, it's a terribly disappointing that after moving heaven and earth, President Trump did, the Senate did, millions of Americans, Judicial Watch did, to get her appointed to the Supreme Court. She was confirmed within 30 days of her name being announced by President Trump. Really, really tremendous work all around. And then there are these two major emergency cases on election integrity, and she declines to participate. Disappointing. You know, and this is where the left knows what they're doing, in my view. They threaten, cajole, warn that the court's going to be upended and packed if they don't get what their way. Republicans will regret putting her on the court, telling her she'd be the worst person in the world if she doesn't recuse herself from decisions tied to President Trump, which is completely lawless. And what happens? She gets on the court and doesn't uh, defers on immediately participating in two key cases. Now, the court issued a statement saying that she didn't have time to review one of the cases. That's I, I just don't buy that. I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it. This was a decision to not participate in a case that she could have quickly gotten up to speed on. After all, they were emergency cases, so it wasn't like there had been oral argument and things like this. This is people running to the court at midnight, more or less. I want justice. And she refused to participate. So as a result, there'll be more election chaos on election day because not of, of not only her failure to take action here, but other members of the Supreme Court. Now, can some of this still be fixed? Yes, potentially. In Pennsylvania, it's not a done deal that they'll be counting ballots after election day that arrive after election day. It's it's I don't even know if technically if they can count ballots after election day the way the law is written. But certainly ballots that arrive after election day. Counting ballots that arrive after election day raise significant constitutional and statutory issues. So that issue may not go away prior to election day, but it may come up again on election night, post-election, in the post-election period. So these, there's no guarantees here. So, you know, I suspect she'll come back and, and, and participate later, but, you know, We've got to be sure that the elections are, we know what they are going into them, the rules are. And it's disappointing that she didn't take this step. That doesn't mean that she'll be a bad justice, but I'm just saying it's disappointing. So I, I kind of, you know, I, I hate to have to send out a tweet, which I did on this, criticizing <laughs> her inaction. She's been on the bench two days, right? And I had to send out, a, but that's what we do. That's what I do. I can't, I can't help it, you know? We have to call it when we see it, right? And it's, you know, I see people were defending her and saying, oh, she didn't have time. It was the right thing to do. Ah, she could have participated. She could have participated. 
So uh, I'm concerned about voter fraud. I'm concerned about the act, the activity of counting ballots that arrive after election day. Uh, and uh, in California, for instance, they're going to be counting ballots that arrive up to 17 days after the election. How do you like them apples? Six days in North Carolina. I think North Carolina, uh, the disputed period now is six days. Pennsylvania, I think it's three days, and they'll be, they could be counting people. Ballots that don't even have a postmark under the rules, under the judicial mandate, really. Now, other courts are intervening to say, no, you're not changing the rules. So it's it's not a, a complete loss all around, but you don't need it to be a complete loss all around because the lawlessness in one state can obviously, given the Electoral College, uh, turn the election one way or the other. Uh, so this is going to be a very uh, treacherous period in terms of election law. And on top of that, you have the left planning, and I've, I've detailed it. I've, I, I, I was talking to a reporter the other day, and they were asking me about uh, what would be happening about election. I went through you know, the issues that will probably end up before the courts, which are kind of, you, know, you can figure that out generally, just as an observer of the scene. But I highlighted the left plans for violence and threatening secession in order to get Trump removed from office if he wins. And I pointed out to them, how do I know this? Because I read about it in the New York Times. I mean, we deal, detailed it in a special report, uh, which will I think we'll, we'll link it here, on the transition of integrity election, pro the transition integrity project, a left-wing project. And now you see in DC, uh, the news is uh, businesses here in town are boarding up because they don't trust the leftist mayor of DC to control the violence that the left is planning in response to the election. And look, that violence I suspect will occur no matter who wins. <laughs> These are communists, they don't care. They wanna blow up the system. I keep on telling you that. They don't care about Democrats versus Republicans. They may work with some, for tactical reasons, but in the long run, everyone is going to be subject to, to suppression and oppression by the communists. And the president should federalize the DC police to prepare for election violence. Should have done it a few months ago, frankly. I mean, I, I, I was driving my car this morning, I'm listening to my friends, um, Vince Colonese and Mary Walter at WMAL, and they had the head of the DC police union on. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. The new rules in DC are that uh, police officers can only uh, put on riot gear if faced with an imminent threat. So essentially they need to start throwing rocks at you before you can protect yourself. And we saw the consequences of that type of craziness the other day here in DC where uh, some, some the police were chasing someone or uh, they tried to pull someone over and uh, the person was killed as they tried to evade uh, the lawful police activity. And uh, so the, the, you know, the violent left got at, came out and used that as a justification to commit violence and try to harm police. And there were 12 policemen injured, including one or two quite seriously. And not only that, but in DC, the new rule is if they put on riot gear, it's the equivalent of the use of force. And they actually literally have to fill out a use of force report if they put on riot gear. 
Does that sound like a, a, a recipe for success in terms of quelling the violent left that is planning to uh, lay siege to our nation's capital again? No. And uh, those of you in other jurisdictions, you should be worried too. I mean, we saw what happened in Kenosha, in Indianapolis, Portland, Seattle. No place is safe from the communist insurrectionists. And they see the election as an opportunity. And any disputes about the election, they will see doubly as an opportunity. So these are dangerous times. I don't wish violence. Frankly, I hope the election is so overwhelming one way or another that there's really no credible reason for protest or, or anything like that. So, but we'll see what happens on election day. So vote in person. Oh, wait, and if you've got issues, and of course, Judicial Watch, we ain't going away because we're monitoring the elections. We uh, have a legal team in place as, uh, as, uh, to, to, to uh, litigate or investigate what's happening. We have an election fraud headline. I'm gonna, let me see if I can share uh, a screen of the video or the, what it looks like. Is that, do you see it? Yeah, now do you see it? Oh, keep our elections honest. Judicial Watch election fraud report line. So if you see anything, any suspicious activity at your polling place, have issues with your voting machine, you can't vote or witness voter fraud or intimidation, there are a few things you need to do. You need to alert your local polling station and election officials, talk to the authorities, make a report, go back home, call your state authorities and make another report and then send an email to Judicial Watch at electionlaw at judicialwatch.org. That's electionlaw at judicialwatch.org. Now, this is what I don't want you to do. If you think another voter is doing something wrong, do not confront anyone. You just report it. It's not your job to police the polls. It's your job to express your concerns, You know, go in and vote, follow all the rules, and if there's something going on, you can you communicate with the officials on the scene. You don't interact with other voters. You don't confront other voters. Never, ever do it. I mean, you may feel you're justified. You may feel the desire to do it. Don't do it. If you do it, you are uh, placing yourself at significant legal uh, risk. Don't do it. And forget about the risk of doing it. It's just a bad idea. You're not going to get anything. It's, it's just, it's just practically speaking, the wrong thing to do. Legally speaking, it's a terribly risky thing to do, in my view. I told you what to do. Communicate with your local and state authorities and let us know what happened. That's all you need to do. And we'll try to follow up as appropriate. So we're prepared to investigate where we can. We don't have unlimited capacity. And as I'm concerned, there could be mass chaos. I don't know. Maybe not. We'll see. So a lot going on at Judicial Watch, even beyond the election. As I say, we just keep on doing the work and it's just going to keep on happening whether or not uh, whatever happens on election day. Um, and the revelations still keep coming through. I mean, I am so frustrated about the way the FBI has been operating. They are terribly corrupt. And uh, we have a new lawsuit that I didn't print it out. 
Well, anyway, we have a new lawsuit that exposes the corruption. We have sued for the text messages of key FBI officials in, um, uh, in federal court. And uh, this is really outrageous because the FBI is taking the legal position that text messages are not subject to the Freedom of Information Act. I've told you about this before. And in fact, uh, they have the text messages, although because they're not subject to FOIA, they allow uh, essentially all employees to delete them as they see fit. So who knows what's being deleted, which makes it even more outrageous. So we've sued for uh, those uh, text messages uh, in federal court because the FBI is just refusing to follow the law there. And let's put it this way. It is so bad they're ignoring, it looks like Justice Department direction on the issue. So we asked for the text messages. They, we got back the usual, um, you know, we're not giving them to you. So we filed an administrative appeal with the Department of Justice Office of Information Policy, arguing that the text messages involving government-related business sent between government officials with whom all of the persons identified in the scope of the request are, do in fact constitute government records that fall within the purview of FOIA. In response, the Justice Department remanded our request to further to the FBI for further review, but the FBI ignored it and is continuing uh, to withhold the FBI text messages from us. And what are the text messages? These are um, text messages between, uh, I guess, between and among, I guess, technically, uh, Andrew McCabe and Lisa Page and Peter Strzok and Jennifer Leonard and, uh, and a White House official responsible for communications with the FBI on key matters uh, during the Obama years, as I said, Lisa Monaco. Uh, so they've, they've got this uh, attitude that the rule of law doesn't apply to them. And this is the right FBI. This is why you can't trust the FBI. They don't think the rules apply to them as a, a law enforcement agency. They're ignoring even the Justice Department. In July, a federal court rejected the FBI's request to dismiss a separate Judicial Watch lawsuit on behalf of Jeffrey Danik, a retired FBI supervisory special agent, for emails and text messages of FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe. Now, after they got that decision, they retreated a bit and they said they'll give us text messages. And they gave us several pages of almost completely redacted and unusable, practically speaking, McCabe text messages. And in giving us the messages, they said, we're giving them to you. We're not conceding you're subject to FOIA. We're just being nice to you. Ray's FBI is a disaster. It's a disaster on so many levels. He'd be quite comfortable in a Biden administration, that's for sure. So we're suing. As I say in our statement, the Ray FBI asserts contrary to DOJ policy, it can delete and keep secret all text messages, including those by the corrupt cadre responsible for the illicit spying on President Trump. And we hope the court quickly orders the FBI to preserve and produce these text messages under FOIA as the law requires. So we'll see what happens. You know what judge was assigned to the case? I'll let you guess. Judge Emmett G. Sullivan, who's handling the Flynn case or mishandling the Flynn case. 
So hopefully he um, he uh, sees through the corrupt conduct here and uh, holds the FBI accountable. I've been, you know, General, uh, excuse me, uh, Judge Sullivan has, you know, we've, we've been dealing with Judge Sullivan for years at Judicial Watch. He's had several Judicial Watch cases and, you know, he's, he's been a good judge in my, in my view. Uh, never, never as good as you want him to be. You know, no judge is going to be do everything you want him to do. But all things being equal, he ain't been that bad for us, on, on, at least on FOIA. Clinton emails. I mean, Judge Sullivan is as responsible as any judge in America for Hillary Clinton not being president because uh, he gave Judicial Watch all sorts of um, opportunity to expose and educate Americans about her email misconduct through the discovery at, during the campaign. So I'm, I'm completely flummoxed by his behavior in the Flynn case. So let's hope he reverts to the norm in our case. Uh, as you might imagine, the lawyers get me get very nervous, I'm sure, when I start talking about what the judges do and don't do in our cases, but I can't help myself. So we'll see how that case goes. But we have, in the meantime, other we have another Struck Page email case, Lisa Page, Peter Struck. Oh, by the way, before I move to that, if you haven't watched, you should watch our Obamagate movie that we co-produced with the unreported story society. And uh, it's uh, it essentially has the actors, uh, the stars are Dean Cain and Christy Swanson, Dean Cain of uh, Superman fame on TV. Christy uh, Swanson's been on a ton of movies. Uh, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was her, was her the most, the movie I think she's most well known for. Uh, but should they play uh, Struck and Page and they have actors uh, playing uh, John Brennan and uh, James Comey, and it's just great. It's a great movie, and I encourage you to watch it. It's on YouTube. We'll provide a link here. Uh, and what happens is they actually read the emails. That's the dia the dialogue of the movie. It's all based on emails and text messages uncovered by Judicial Watch and other investigators, or public statements and testimony. So it's just it's 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 funny, disturbing, and devastating in terms of its exposure of Obamagate. And along those lines, we have new emails that have come out. As, I as you've been, I've re been reporting to you over time, they've been slow walking the release of these emails. We won't get all the page struck emails because the corrupt FBI and the Justice Department refuses to do anything about it, is uh, just turning over the emails to us at a rate of 500 pages a month, which means that they all won't be turned over to us until at least the end of 2021. The next administration. Outrageous, isn't it? Outrageous. And we know why they're hiding it, because every time we get a batch, there's corruption exposed. And most recent, this new batch shows that there were missing meeting entries. So Lisa Page's calendar was missing meetings. And I guess the Microsoft Outlook, according to the documents, would have to recreate the meetings. So it looks like either the memes were being deleted, either on purpose or accidentally. I can't rule that out, but certainly suspicious in light of the wiped phones separately Judicial Watch found. The deleted text messages, you may recall, of Page and Strzok from their days in the Mueller team. And now we have these missing calendar entries, including going dark strategy meeting. That was one of the calendars that had to be recreated. 
So the question is, did Lisa Page know that she, you know, this is what I would ask. Did you delete the calendar entries? And did you know, by the way, that your own computer was recreating them after the fact, despite their being deleted? I suspect she probably didn't. Admittedly, I'm guessing there. And of course, my concern is there are meetings that weren't recreated. Was she deleting other calendar entries that weren't recreated by the Microsoft backup program? So this is what, again, this is what I love about Judicial Watch. We just keep on working no matter what else is happening. I mean, I know everyone's focused on the election uh, and, uh, you know, all things associated with the election. We're obviously following the Biden Barisma document question very closely, all of that. But there's, you know, you just have to keep on doing all the other work because the election is going to happen on Tuesday and then we have to get back to work, right? And we can't get too distracted because, you know, we got to, you know, you know, you're at home, right? You, you've got to work, right? You, you can't stop working because of the election. <laughs> Maybe exciting to follow and all that, but you still got to pay the mortgage, take care of the kids, pay the bills, put food on the table, all of that. However more difficult it is because of the coronavirus shutdown. So uh, another thing I love about Judicial Watch is that uh, you can't argue with us. I guess you can, but it's harder to argue with the uh, Judicial Watch. Why? Because we rely on government documents. We say, this is what the document says. And I'll say, well, this is the conclusion I draw. You may draw a different conclusion, but there's no arguing with what the government document says. So when you hear the garbage lies about Burisma, uh, the Burisma scandal being Russia disinformation, Hunter Biden, all, all of that, uh, you know, we can't trust the email, all of that. It's like, well, you know, that's, that's the reality. You know, people will dispute information that's not government authenticated, even though technically it probably has been, according to published reports. So accordingly, Judicial Watch gets emails from the, from the government, and we've gotten documents finally on um, uh, Burisma. We had sued, when did we sue? January, 2020. So it took them 11 months almost to get us these documents about Burisma. We asked for records of communications from the US embassy in Kiev, our embassy, mentioning Burisma. Now you may recall uh, that the Justice, the State Department shut down their FOIA operations in response to the COVID pandemic. I, frankly, it was more of an excuse than anything else. This is what happens. My, my, my microphone is attached to the computer, and when I move the microphone, the wire pulls, and that's why the computer moves. So that's what's happening there. Uh, so they finally gave us what is a briefing memo showing that the Democratic lobbying firm hired by Burisma met with the anti-Trump ambassador, Ambassador Yovanovitch. She's the woman who testified against Obama during the impeachment hearings. And um, in my view, she's responsible for covering up a lot of corruption going on in Ukraine vis-a-vis -vis 
Biden, the Ukrainian interferers in our election, the Soros operation, all sorts of stuff that was going on on her watch. And uh, we, so we got these documents and it's a briefing checklist about a meeting she was having with this Burisma law firm uh, called Blue Star Strategies, whose chief operating officer and uh, co-founder is Sally Painter. So Painter was going in to meet with Yovanovitch on a variety of issues. One of those issues notes that she was planning a meeting in the embassy with the foreign commercial service officer regarding the Burisma Group Energy Company. Now, this was happening in when? February 22nd, 2019, the middle of the impeachment attack on, just before the impeachment attack on President Trump. Excuse me, I shouldn't say it was the middle of it. I forget that the impeachment was just a few months ago. I forget, I, I, it goes back further in time as, as the weeks go along, but it was only the beginning of the year, right? So in February of 2019, they're meeting with Hunter Biden's lobbying shop. Now, Hunter Biden was still on the board of Burisma at the time. So yeah, it was his lobbying shop, this Blue Star Strategies. And Sally Painter, the person running it, Judicial Watch has run into before. How? Well, we found documents in uh, during the Chinagate scandal back during the Clinton years and back then she was in, at the Commerce Department and she was implicated in the alleged sale of Commerce Department trade mission seats where the government would pay for trade missions abroad to get contracts for companies abroad. And uh, they were basically saying, you pony up to the Democratic National Committee or the Clinton campaign, you get a seat on the trade mission. And Painter's fingerprints were all over that. So it's, it's no surprise to see her pop up again with this uh, Burisma scandal. And the records also show um, that in 2016, an email from a sender whose name is blacked out was sent to a person called Amos Hochton, who is a senior advisor to Vice President Joe Biden on international energy affairs. He's an, Hodgson was an expert in energy, unlike Hunter Biden. And the subject line was Burisma News Devin Archer. And Devin Archer was President uh, Hunter Biden's business partner in Burisma and also on the board of Burisma. The email includes links to two articles, one by the New York Post on May 12, 2016, which detail how Archer, a business partner of Hunter Biden, and also a member of the Burisma Board of Directors, had been arrested on suspicion of securities fraud in a $60 million scam that ripped off the impoverished Southern South Dakota, Sioux, uh, Indian, and others. And the e records also, so you had Joe Biden's top aide, one of his top aides, getting a heads up on a scandal implicating his son, uh, Joe's son's business partner. Now his business partner, this, this story is back up here again because uh, he was, I think, convicted uh, but the judge threw out the conviction and this appellate court reinstated it. So now he's facing a, uh, now Devin Archer is facing a uh, in sentencing, sentencing, excuse me, sentencing. He could be going to jail on this. I'm sure he's unhappy camper too. That's what Giuliani said. 
And the records also include, and I've told you about how the, uh, the Ukraine embassy gang under Yovanovitch was monitoring the social media accounts of Rudy Giuliani and uh, Don Trump Jr., Dan Bongino, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, Lou Dobbs, because they were nervous about what they were saying about Burisma, Joe Biden, Soros, and all the rest. And these emails further confirm how they were desperate to monitor all of this. And they were monitoring all of these people's um, tweets. If they were doing it in an organized fashion, it was would be illegal. It's a violation of the Privacy Act. So we have new Burisma documents showing that the anti-Trump State Department knew about the shady Biden Burisma connections and were desperate to monitor conservative critics of the Bidens. Desperate. So don't believe the laptop. Don't believe Tony Bubulinski, excuse me. And I say that sarcastically. Believe the documents. The Obama State Department knew very much about the Burisma scandal. I told you previously about other documents, emails from a, a State Department official, another anti-Trump State Department official testified against Trump in the impeachment, sent to Yovanovitch bemoaning the fact that Russians were trolling Joe Biden over his ethical compromised or his uh, you know, conflicts of interest in terms of ethics with having his son be on the board of that corrupt company, Burisma. Kent called it Burisma, the gift that keeps on giving. They all knew about Burisma and Biden. And so I keep on saying the dirty little secret about Joe Biden is there was no dirty little secret about his corruption. And many people knew about it. So we, we expect to get more documents. As I say, uh, the Biden scandal ain't going away no matter what happens on Election Day. So there's that. So um, I have some good news to report to you. Remember the book I told you about, the book that we just announced, our my new Judicial Watch book, A Republic Under Assault? Well, we got word that it will appear on the New York Times bestseller list. Fantastic news. This is the third bestseller we have. The third. It's not going to be number one. I think it's 12 or 14. You would think I'd know that off the top of my head. It's also number four on the National Book Scan Publisher Weeklies list, which is, you know, the New York Times, you know, they're no friends of uh, folks like Judicial Watch, so they tend to not give us the placement on the list we would, uh, we would otherwise get. So it's number four generally. It's number two in the nonfiction list in the country. The number two nonfiction book in the country. It's right behind uh, Matthew McConaughey's new book, which I understand is quite good. So... Uh, you know, it's not bad company. Uh, and certainly we're the, the, the number one book, practically speaking, in terms of covering public policy. But this is a book that it's urgent that you read. And I'm asking you to keep us on the bestseller list. This is, uh, you can, this is a way to support Judicial Watch with the purchase of this book. It keeps us on the bestseller list. And when you're on the bestseller list, it means more people will gain access to the book. You may follow Judicial Watch, but you don't have all the documents in place. And so this material shows you, uh, we've got the documents, 
my exclusive analysis of these documents, of the coup plot against President Trump, the attack on our republic at the borders and at our elections, and all the background on the Clinton email scandal, and frankly, how Judicial Watch has helped save the republic. And if you're listening or watching, I encourage you to buy the book. Go online. You can get it. I think the list price, list price is $30. You can probably get it cheaper on Amazon or places like that. And every purchase counts in terms of keeping us on the list. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm normally not this brazen in terms of selling uh, Judicial Watch or Judicial Watch stuff, but this is a great, A, it's a great book. So it's not like I'm, I'm selling you something that you're not going to enjoy. Uh, but it benefits Judicial Watch and allows us to do more of the work that you care about in terms of protecting the con Constitution and the country. And plus, it will annoy the left because it will keep us on the bestseller list. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm someone who gets excited when I see all these conservative books on the bestseller list. Dan Bongino's got a great book out. Uh, Lou Dobbs has a book out. I think Judge Janine has a book out. Uh, our friend Candace Owen uh, has a book out. Her, she's on the bestseller list as well. That drives the left crazy. And but Judicial Watch, frankly, is the most important book because we document the coup, the coup, the coup. And we document how it was stopped. I know it's ongoing and the threat continues, but it was a pretty close run thing for a time. So I encourage you to get the book. It's a New York Times bestseller. It's the number two book in the uh, in the uh, number four book in the country. Generally, it looks like and according to the major book scan analysis. And uh, if you can read it now, you should, but it's the most important book you can read all year. So A Republic Under Assault, The Left's Ongoing Attack. There you go. I don't want it to be the glare. Now you see Attack on American Freedom. So with that, I encourage you to read the book. Go look at the movies that I've told you about. The uh, What else is out there? The Obamagate movie is out there, and also uh, the plot against the president is out there. Judicial Watch participates in that. So there are two good movies out there as well for you to watch. So there's a lot of you educational material for you to consume. And more importantly, I want you to get the book, watch the movies, but share it with folks. Tell people, buy the book. If you're on Amazon, review the book. Barnes & Noble, review the book. Promote the book. That could be your activism to save the country by educating your fellow Americans about what's important about what's going on here in town. So with that, I uh, will uh, uh, bid you a farewell. Hopefully next week we'll know who the next president's going to be. If we don't, oh boy. Uh, but uh, stay healthy and safe and God bless you, your family, and of course, God bless America. Have a great week. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.